We are in a sermon series called Kingdom Culture. We're looking at the book of Matthew and taking this year to see what Jesus has to say to us. Looking about the culture and largely the church culture. What has messages to us, the church? We started this um, a few weeks ago, but last week we started chapter 5. In chapter 5 is Jesus' sermon, we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's his longest sermon. And speaks to this exact issue of what does a church look like? What does it not look like? Where do we take our cues from? How do we learn what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to be? Jesus is going to talk about this. In this passage, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's lots of great verses. Some of your favorite verses. We talk about the Beatitudes. Uh, I hear a lot of people like the verse about don't be anxious about anything, right? Um, There's a verse about anxiety in here. Don't worry about your life, right? There's uh, some other, the Lord's Prayer. We're going to get into that soon as well. But there's also some some other passages where I don't know what to do with all this. What's this mean? You know, he talks about, you've heard it said you should not murder, but then I tell you something different. Talks about, you've heard it said not to commit adultery, I'm going to tell you something different. Uh, he goes on about divorce and, and uh, love your neighbor. You've heard it said love your neighbor, but I'm going to tell you something different. And it makes me wonder, like, who is this, who is this sermon given to? Who is it about? Who needs to be listening to this? To make it more complicated, he ends this sermon with this, uh, with this picture. He gives us some examples. He said, there's two roads. And you've got to be very careful what road you're on because one road leads to destruction. The other one leads to life. And he says, there's two trees. Be very careful from which, which one you eat off of because one has really good fruit. Another one has bad fruit. It's poison. And he said, be careful because there's two houses, and they both look beautiful. They're great-looking houses, but one has a strong foundation, and one has no foundation at all. So as you are traveling through your spiritual journey, be very careful. Be careful that you are on the path that leads to life, that you're eating from the true that has good fruit, that you're living in the house that has a good foundation. And make sure that you are not on the road that leads to destruction. Make sure you're not in the tree that has the poisonous fruit. Make sure you're not in the house that's gonna collapse. So he throws us out of the end and you're wondering like, how do I know? Which, they all look the same. What are the cues? What should I be aware of? Well, it's clear that as he's talking about this, he's, he's talking to those who want to enter the kingdom of heaven. He's He's talking to those who are interested, who are interested in the spiritual things. So he's talking to the crowd that day. It's the the Pharisees, maybe, or the Levites, some of those people in the temple. He's looking at the people that go to the temple, that worship there. He's talking to the people that read their scriptures. He's talking to the people that want to have a rabbi to lead them. This is his context. In other words, to put it in today's term, he's talking to you and to me. He's not talking to those who have no interest in this at all. He's not talking to the Romans or the pagans or those from other nations. He's not talking to the people that are out on the street that have no interest in spiritual things. He's talking to people like you and me. And we need to pay attention. 
Because if we're not careful, we end up on the wrong road. We're eating from the wrong tree, living in the wrong house. I want you all today to be assured that you are on the right path, going in the right direction. And so in short, he's basically saying, you've heard from others how to be religious. But I want to talk to you about how to be a disciple. I want to talk to you about how you live in the kingdom of God, which is very different than what you've heard. Basically saying everything you've heard in the past on how to be religious is wrong. Don't listen to that. you got to listen to my words. So today we're going to talk a lot about kind of comparing these two people. Those who are religious, I'll put them in quotes, and that might be some of us here. We'll talk about that, and we'll talk about those who are in the kingdom of God, the true followers, the true disciple, and the difference between those two. But let me illustrate. Let me help you understand exactly what side you're on. Are you on the religious side or on the disciple side? I'm going to give you an illustration. It all centers around the city of Los Angeles. Because there's two people here. There's people that love Los Angeles, and they love everything about it. And there's people that want to avoid it like the plague. Okay? You know what I'm talking about? So how many of you love Los Angeles? You love being in the city. You love the food. You love the culture. You love the traffic. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Nobody does that. But you like LA. You like the city. Okay? Maybe you went to college there. It's... And maybe you grew up there. It's, it's home. I saw about seven hands. Okay, am I assuming the rest of you don't like the city? The rest of you are like, I avoid it. I, used to, I always say that I'm allergic to Los Angeles. Right? The traffic, the billboards, the graffiti, the noise, the, all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't like it. I would much rather be here in Orange County. I'd much rather be where the sidewalks are clean and neat and there's, they're not cracked and all that. There's no billboards all that kind of stuff. I like the parks and the wide open spaces. I, that's what I like, all right? I have just described myself as a religious person. I am religious, meaning that when I see things that are different and things that are broken and things don't work right, I want to avoid it. I want to walk away. When I see people that are broken or people that are smelly or whatever it is, they think differently, I want to avoid. I want to be safe. I have just identified myself as a Pharisee, right? I just want to keep away from others. I want to keep away from those who are lost, and I want to stay with people that are like myself. That's what a religious person does. But a follower of Christ is different. The follower of Christ is the one who sees something that's hurting, something that's broken, someone who's in the darkness, and they approach them. They go to them. They want to serve them. They want to love them. They want to see broken things be fixed, hurting people be healed. That's what Christ is looking at. That's what he's been talking about in this passage. That's what he's going to be talking about through this Sermon on the Mount. And I want us, here's a challenge to myself and to the church. I want us to move from being people that are religious and we do the right thing and we, we, we follow the right checklist. I want us to leave that. And I want us to move to a place where we are driven to those who are in need. We're going to take the gospel, we're going to take the light of Christ into the world that needs it. But there's a heart that has to be right. And that's what we talked about last week. 
Pastor Abel was here, and he shared about the Beatitudes. That's where Jesus starts the sermon. He says, before anything else, you got to have your heart right. So he says, basically, he's answering the question, do you want to be blessed by God? Do you want to be in his kingdom? Here's the heart that you need. And he shares, be poor in spirit. You don't enter in with pride like, I'm the best, let me in. You enter in being poor in spirit. You mourn for sin. You're meek. You crave, you crave righteousness. You're merciful, pure in heart. You're peacemaker. And then after all of that, you will hold on to these things, even if it means persecution, even if it means death. The heart of a disciple begins there. So he says, you've got to cultivate this heart. And then some of us would think, well, that's easy. I can do that. I can do that on my own. I can do that in the, in the quiet of my own home. Just, you know, me and the Lord, I'll cultivate this heart. That's where I'll learn to be meek and compassionate. But here's the problem, is that he says, these things are not to be done quietly or on your own. Because this heart, these beatitudes, they're powerfully social. They are to be worked, at, worked, they come alive in your heart, but they're worked out in public because that's exactly where he goes to next. After he starts the Beatitudes, then he comes to the passage that we'll talk about today. He's saying, you are to be salt and light. Two metaphors that share what the responsibility of a Christian is to be. And so that's what we'll talk about today. Just two things, very easy. We're gonna talk about being salt and talk about light. These are two essential things that would be in any home. When Jesus is talking, they all know this. In fact, it's all in your homes. But they knew what this meant. He's going to share with them, here's what your mission is. And for us today, this is the mission of the church. This is what Christians are called to. If we're going to be following Christ, this is what we are. We're salt. We are light. So let me share with you what he says from Matthew 3. 5, verse 13, 14, 15, and 16. He says this, that you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're talking about the church, talking about Christians, we're talking about disciples of Jesus, that we are salt. We are light. And we are to influence the world by being rich in good works and glorify God. That's what we're called to. So today we'll see two things. Christians, you enter in, and Christians shine bright. First, Christians enter into the world. We are to be salty Christians. Now, Salty Christians. What is that? That means something different in our culture. When you hear that word, you know, he's a salty individual. You know what that means. It means they're a little bit cranky, they're a little irritated or agitated, they're mad at something. This is not what we're talking about. However, we know Christians like this, don't we? 
There's just Christians that are out there that just, they're just irritated. And they let you know it. They're irritated about the political situation or the lack. They're, anything, I mean, anything in society, they're irritated. And then you'll, they'll see it, they'll do their rants on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. They'll tell, talk to you about it. They'll just be complaining. That is not what Jesus is talking about. No, 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 no. Something completely different. For this, he means that you are salt. The number one thing that salt did back then that they would have immediately thought of was being a preservative. This is how they preserved their food, right? Meat, right when they get it, it starts the process of decay. But salt is the one thing that can stop that decay from happening. With salting it, salting your meat can let, let it last for a long time. Remember, obviously, no refrigerators, none of that kind of stuff. No ice boxes, probably, like, not that we're thinking of it. No ice chests and all that kind of thing. Just salt. So the implication here is when he says that you are the salt of the world, there's an implication that this world is rotting. This world is heading towards destruction. It's in decay Paul is very clear about this in Romans 1. He talks about this world that's in decay. I won't read the whole passage, but it says some things like this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or give thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. The world is a dark place. God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what they ought not to be done. He says that they're dark, they're degraded, they're depraved, they're broken, they're decaying. This is the world around us. May not be a surprise, but that's the world we live in. And he calls them salt. You notice, he doesn't call them sugar. You're the sugar of the world. He doesn't call them the honey of the world or the jelly of the world. All things that I love. I eat more honey than anybody, I love honey. But th- this is not it. The world does not need any more honey. It's already decaying. We don't need our teeth decaying. You know? It, this is, this, that's the state of the world. But no, you are salt. You are different. Salt goes into the world and it stops it from going bad. It stops or delays the decay. Church, what is our mission? Is to go into the world to be salt, to help the world from, from falling apart. When the, world's, when, the, when the world falls apart, the church sees it and says, we're gonna rush in, we're gonna go help. When marriages fall apart, we're gonna do what we can to help, to bring them back together. When families are broken, we're, we're gonna take care of the children, whether adoption or, or foster care or orphanage, whatever. When people are sick, we're gonna try to bring healing to them. When schools are broken, we're going to go into the schools and try to help and try to, to restore them. When we see things broken, we run into it. We want to do what we can to help it. But remember, we go in with the attitude and the heart that Christ has already shown us. The Beatitudes, showing us a heart of mercy and care and compassion and kindness and peace. Not what we think of in the church Self-righteous, condemning, condescending behavior. Unfortunately, the church has got that nailed. We understand that. We know judgment. We know how to judge people. 
But he says you're salt and you, you go in to restore, you go in to, to help and to bring about um, change, but you do it with this heart of the gospel, not this heart of religion, saying I'm right, you're wrong. See, a religious person sees this kind of decay and depravity and will give you 10 verses to read to fix it, 10 ways to fix it, but they'll keep it at a distance. They'll tell you what to do, but they won't enter into it. The disciple, the follower of Christ goes into it. You enter into it. You get into it. Just as salt is rubbed in the meat, we get rubbed into it. And I, that's, that terrifies us because we want to stay pure. We don't want to get contaminated. We want to stay away from that. But as I read scripture, as I read this, Jesus is saying, no, you got to get in. You go into where it's broken and where the hurt and the pain is. We see a good illustration in the, the parable that we've heard so many times, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here's a guy who's been broken. And we see the actions of the religious, don't we? The religious people scoot right on by, kind of jump over him, go wide around him. They avoid the pain and the brokenness. But then you see this Samaritan, this unlikely person, this person who's not trying to be religious, but he has a heart of mercy and he goes and cares for this person and loves and is tender. That's what Jesus says. That's what he is looking for and that's what he says. He says, go and do likewise. Go be salt. Go with compassion and mercy. I believe that if we have this heart that is described, and if we truly understand that we are salt in this world that's decaying, that we will be attracted to that pain. We will see it, we will look for it, and our hearts will break, we'll be mourning, and we'll go towards it. We'll minister. We'll take care of them. We will get in the middle of it and bring the hope of Christ. I was listening to a podcast this week, and Pastor David Platt was on it. He's a pastor on the East Coast in D.C. and has written several books. But he was talking about when he was in college at the University of Georgia. And he was in a fraternity, but he was struggling. Should I stay in here or not, you know? Because, you know, I, I went to Biola. I don't know what happens in fraternities. But I can only imagine. Some of you know. But he was struggling. And he asked his mentor, he said, what, what should I do? His mentor said, he says, go ahead and stay in the fraternity. But... Make sure you influence others more than they influence you. I don't think that's advice for everybody, but this mentor knew him, and he says, I think you can handle it. I want you to stay in there because it's dark. It's, it's a place that needs hope, and I think you can do it. You can give it to them. Don't run away. Stay there. Invest in care and love and be salt in a place that needs it. Let us, as a church, act like that. May our influence be powerful in this world, this decaying world. So that's the one thing that salt does. There's another thing that, that we all know this one totally. It brings flavor. It brings flavor to food. And that back then they would do that too. They would season some things and put salt on it and give bland food some flavor. What do you put salt on? I put it on popcorn. All right, corn on the cob, I like that. Um, eggs, let's say, I don't know, not much more than that. However, 
A few years ago, a friend and I, we were reading some blog on the perfect steak. You know, the perfect steak. And it, it was just raving on this. And we, we read it and we're like, we have to try that. And it was so simple. Here's what it says. This. He's like, go buy the best steaks you can get. Put them in your refrigerator, but cover them in salt. Just put a lot of salt on them and let them sit there for days. You know, it was like four days or something like that. You're going to see the juice come up to the top, and then you're going to see it disappear, and up in the top and disappear. And it's going to do that, and it'll just make that steak tender. And then it just said, just put them on the grill and put butter on it. That's it. No seasoning, nothing crazy, just salt and butter. And then we ate them. Oh, my God. They were restaurant quality. It was so good. And we ate them, and we all said this. This salt is fantastic. It tastes like a juicy steak. Right? No, of course not. Of course not. Of course we didn't say, we didn't talk about the salt. We talked about the steak that was made perfect through salt and butter. That's his point, though. He's saying salt does not bring attention to itself unless it's way too much. Then it's, it's overkill, and that's a bad thing. But, but salt, properly used, is to bring attention to the thing that it's on, to the food. We... As Christians, we are the salt of the earth, and we are to bring attention not to ourselves, but to our Father in heaven. We've got to glorify him. So salt points to him, and we as, as Christians in the church, we get this wrong so many times because we make it about ourselves. That's what religious people do. They make it about ourselves, how important I am to the small group or to the church or the worship team or whatever. But instead, we are to point to someone greater. We point to our Lord and Savior. I'm going to get in this world, and I'm going to bring salt in it. I'm going to, I'm going to do some good things. I'm going to love those people who I thought were unlovable. I'm going to care for them, and I'm going to point them towards Christ. I want his name to be made great. So let's bring flavor to the world. This is a whole section that I don't have time to get into, but I, it's just um, like I alluded to earlier, the church has had a reputation and that reputation is not great. If you were to ask your friends, your coworkers at work, like, you know, what are the first words that come to your mind when you think about church? You're going to hear some of those words I already used. Judgmental, legalistic, you know, uh, hypocritical, Whatever. I don't think that's a stretch. I, I think most of you can ask your non-Christian friends and that's what you're gonna get. But man, I think we're missing the boat. To bring flavor means we bring life, we bring hope, we bring love, we bring joy. So some of us as Christians, we gotta, we gotta loosen up. We gotta smile a little bit more and go out of our way to share the love of Christ. Bring flavor to the world all right, that's what I'll say about that. But you get the point. We enter into the world. Do you see? The world is hurting. The world is, is messed up. We, the church, he's given the church to this world so that we can enter into it and help that process. Okay, we enter in. The next thing we see is Christians, we shine bright. We shine bright. The salt enters in, but now he's kind of changing it. But now you go out. You go out. You shed light in this world. He says, you're the light of the world. The light of the world. 
Then he talks about the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. It's not a, a village in a valley, but it's a city on a hill. And you can just picture some weary traveler kind of making his way, and he's got delayed, and he's going a lot slower than he thought, and he's getting dark, and he's getting scared, and he just can't find his way, but then he sees the light of the city, and he's like, that's where I got to go. That's where I'm aiming towards. And so it starts with that. You're the city on a hill, but then it moves into the, inside the house. He says, you, you light a lamp and you don't put it under a bolt. You put it on a stand so it lights up the whole house so that everybody in it can see. And he says in the same way, let your light shine before others that they would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The implications for this, again, is this world that's not only decaying, but it's in darkness. It's dark. It's pitch black. The clouds are over. Those dark rain clouds are overhead. There's no light coming through. John, when he was writing his gospel, describes it this way. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. That's Jesus. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. This is the world that we live in. It's hurting and it's dark. But he says that you, you, and he's, he's emphatic with this. He's saying, you and you alone are the light of the world. No one else, nothing else, no matter what they claim, no matter how enlightened they are, they're not the light. But you are the light. You, as followers of Christ, you who make up the church, you're the light of this world. But it's a lantern. Think more of a lantern don't think of a flashlight. Don't think of a headlamp, you know, the kind you put on your head. I was gonna, I meant to bring one because I have one right by my bed. And I use it at night if I, if I can't sleep and I wanna read. I don't, instead of turning on the light that lights the whole room, I just put on my little headlamp and, and turn it on and I just read my book. You know, but, but so many Christians, that's what they think of. And that, that's the religious person. The religious person, instead of a lantern, they have this little headlamp that they put on and they just, they show like, well, I gotta keep myself safe. I gotta know where I'm going. I don't wanna get hurt. I don't wanna get lost. But they're only thinking about themselves. But he says, you light the lantern, you put it on a stand so the whole house can enjoy the light. This is not for personal use. This is for corporate use. How do we shine bright? One commentator wrote, um, think of this, the moon, right? The moon, it, doesn't, it isn't a light, but it reflects the light. In trying to be true to scripture, when Jesus says, I am the, the light, he's just saying, but we're, we're like the moon and we reflect. And sometimes the church is, is, is a full moon and it's doing great. And other times it's like a little sliver and, and it's just kind of waning. But the moon is always there. We're always reflecting. And maybe that's helpful. I get it. We want to reflect Christ. But, but it also, Paul writes in Ephesians that we are the light. You are the light. He says in Ephesians 5 verse 8, he says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light. Now you are light in the Lord. Now live as children of the light. You are light. So I think it's totally appropriate that, yes, we reflect Christ, but you also, you shine for him. You are the light of Christ. Let your light shine. Well, how do we do that? He tells us. 
through good works. Go do good works. You know, this is, probably could be a sermon and all, like, what are good works? What do you need to do? And all that. But let's just say this. Good works are things that you do with love and faith. You, you do it with love because you love God and you love the people that he has made. As imperfect and as messed up as we are, you love them. And you do it in faith because you do it out of devotion and obedience to God. They're practical, visible things that we do out of love and compassion for people that are hurting, people that are in the darkness. Our good, good works give this credibility to the gospel. They give it power. Now, everybody does good works. Christians or non-Christians, religious or disciples, they all do good works. But talking about religious people, here's why they would do it. For a couple reasons. One, they want to do it so they will be seen, so they will be noticed. Here's what I'm doing. Everybody notice. Um, They do it out of pride to prove how good they are, how important they are for the kingdom of God, how important they are for the church. You need me. Look how good I am and how successful I am at this. Uh, They might do it out of fear, like I'm doing this so God doesn't get mad at me. Right, so he doesn't, uh, he answers my prayers. I don't want him mad, so I'll, I'll continue to do good works. But that's the religious people. That is what Jesus is fighting against. Instead, he wants his disciples to do good works so that God will be seen. So that he will be noticed, that he will be glorified. He wants us to do good works that we would care for one another, like other Christians, that's important but that we'd also, we go and care for the world. Those people who are different than you, who think different and vote different and have a different lifestyle and have different priorities. He said, go do good works with them. Paul sheds light on this too and just is just, it also explains, he says, for you are God's handiwork, he writes in Ephesians 2. You're his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This blows my mind. I don't know what to do with this. But somewhere, God prepared these good works. They're just sitting out there on the table. He's saying, come and do it. When you do this, you're going to grow in your faith and knowledge. You're going to bless me. You're going to bless this world. How many good works are sitting there on the table waiting for us? Let's jump in and do it. In Colossians 1, he says that you would live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. You want to grow in the knowledge of God? You want to have a worthy life? You want to please him? You do good works and bear fruit. We have some ground to make up, I believe. Have we been doing good works, you know, as the church? I think we have. We've done some good things. But how much has been done out of our religious uh, commitment so that I'll be seen, so that God will be pleased with me, so he won't be mad at me? And how much of this is done because I just love a broken world that's hurting, and I love God, and I want to see people come to know Christ I think we've got some ground to make up. But I, I would say this, too, that, um, that the church is, is, doesn't always have the best reputation. 
that we have acted in ways and we've tried to do things that we think are good, but we've hurt people. There's been many people that have been hurt by the church. Uh, on Friday, I talked to a guy who would describe himself as, I used to be a Bible thumper, but now I'm somewhere between an atheist and a deist. Okay, I'll tell you more about him in a minute. But I talked to him, that was Friday. On Saturday, I talked to another guy um, who was just, I'm agnostic. I'm totally agnostic, you know. Um, and, I've, and this is all through the military. This is my role as a chaplain. These are the people I get to talk to on a normal basis. Um, with them, um, I've had the privilege of sitting in a group called the, um, the Free Thinkers group. The free Thinkers, they're atheists and agnostics. And I've sat in on their meetings and just listened to them. They're great people. They're really nice. Nice people. But there's one thing that all of these people have in common, and I'm talking probably about 15 people in my mind right now. There's one thing they all have in common without one exception. They all grew up in the church. They all grew up in the church, and they are all hurt in some way by the church. Some like some tough, like intentional hurt. Others was just, you know, kind of how they saw things or whatever. But all of them were hurt by the church. And I, I don't know this for sure, but I know the two that I was just talking to would say this, that they would say, I don't have a problem with Jesus. I think Jesus is good. I have a problem with the church. Yeah, if that doesn't break your heart, I know the church is not perfect. <laughs> We're full of sinners. I get it. But I think the church has been full of people that are religious. We're trying to be religious. And when someone's hurting, we give them 10 reasons and 10 verses and tell them to, you know, they can get better, just try harder. And they're being hurt by that. I, my heart breaks. I look at the youth group right here because so many of those kids were hurt right around that junior high, high school time. And I, my heart breaks for them. And I don't want those people that are in our youth group to be sitting in this group of agnostics or atheists or deists or whatever they want to call themselves. I don't want that. And we need to change. We need to leave this, this religious side and we need to have our hearts transformed and become like Christ wants us to be salt and to be light, to go into the world, to talk to people that we don't want to talk to, to love them, not judge, not condemn, but to care for them. So on Friday, I'm talking to this guy. And he says, you know, he kind of told me a story and um, says, yeah, I used to be the Bible thumper, and I would be the one that would go around and judge people and tell them how to live and all that. And then he says, then I went to this camp, and it was a Christian camp, but all the staff, none of the staff acted like Christians. You know, it was the, the pastor's daughter who was, you know, messing around, and this guy was, you know, into drugs. And he's like, the person that was like the most Christian was a lesbian, you know? And she was the hardest working person and all that. And he just... It just, like, it got to him, and he's just, he looks at the church, and he looks what's going on, and he's looking at everything, and he's like, I don't want to be a part of that. And then he says this, he says, 
You know, he says, I, I, I just see the church, they, they, don't, they don't care for anybody but themselves. And he says, I go and I see this homeless guy at the park and so I go and sit down with him and I ask him his story and I hear what's going on in his life and then I go take him and we go get some food together. He says, I've never seen the church do that. Tell me one Christian that's done that. <laughs> Here's the thing. We are doing that. He didn't see it. I don't know the motives, and that's what I care about. I want, to, I want us to have the right motives, but I know. And so I said to him, I'm like, hey, what, what, just imagine, if you saw a church, if you saw a community of people, they were going out and doing that, but and doing any even more, really caring for people. Would that change? He's like, I would pay attention to that. I would listen to that. Well, I am thinking even in our church, what that looks like. And you know who I thought of? I thought of Mike and Carissa right up here. I, I wanna invite them to come up. Um, they're part of a ministry that you may or may not know about. Um, it's called Laundry of Love. And this is not, it, we didn't start this. This has not come from the church. We didn't start this. I think it came from a, their previous church, but the ministry kind of ended, and then they just said, we care about it, we want to I want to continue this. And so, um, can you just tell, hi Mike, hi Chris, thank you for coming. <laughs> can you just tell us just a little bit about this ministry? What, what is Laundry of Love? Okay, well, Laundry of Love is a Christian ministry that serves um, the low income of home and the homeless of Fullerton by providing laundry, food, and prayer on the last Monday of every month mm -hmm. from 6 to 8. Okay, so it's a, a ministry that is right here, right in Fullerton, close by. Um, and, and I'm assuming you provide some quarters and some um, the detergent and all that and, and food too, some food. And then while the laundry is, is going, and that takes some time, it's not instant, there's conversations that are happening. Um, why? Can you tell me, like, why do you do this? Why, why? I mean, you could do anything. You could stay at home and just do many other things on Monday night. But why do you do this? Well, it's a tangible way for us to share the love of God. Mm-hmm. Simple, right? Very <laughs> easy. What have you seen? You've been doing this for some time. What are some of the ways you've seen God moving and working in the ministry, in lives? Yeah, you know, the thing I enjoy the most is hearing their stories and seeing God working in their lives. The one person that comes to mind is um, Ernesto. I met him about two years ago. Um, he's 72, but when he was 27, he was involved in an industrial accident that took two and a half fingers from each of his hands. So he fell into alcoholism and he went to Mexico and there he just happened to have gone to his church service and became saved. So now at 72, he makes $500 a month on disability income, half of which goes to rent. But he's the first to tell you that God provides for him. And that even with his two and a half finger on each hand, he's the first to come over to my car and lift up all the heavy things into the laundromat. He's the first to help with putting quarters into, um, you know, people who needs it as well. You know, he's also one to invite people in his community to come. I could see in him that God is working in his life to share that, you know, God has changed his life and he knows that he can do the same with people in his community. So he's a really great blessing for me to witness that. Mm -hmm. Mike, how about for you? You, uh, 
you get to join, you get to come with. I mean, you probably could stay at home too, but you, uh, you come as well. So for me, it's been evolving over time. At first, I wanted to support Carissa and do things as a couple or as a family. And then also, how do we love our neighbor if we don't spend time with them, right? God has a heart for the widow, for the orphan, for the stranger. Um, and that's great. But let me just share a story from last week, a couple that I met for the first time that saw me playing with my son, Nathaniel, who has autism and doesn't talk much. He has some behaviors that are a little off. And they said to me, oh, I see that you really love your son. And that really blessed me. And so there's something about this community where you can come and be real. You can bring your pain. And you know, where else can you go where within five minutes of meeting someone, you can hear their life story? guy named Jack who looks like Willie Nelson and cowboy <laughs> boots and hat and he'll tell you that after his girlfriend threw him out several years ago he's been on in the street so it's a place where people are real and we can all come along inside and encourage each other and be salt and light together and through doing that we, we see the, the kingdom of God we are part of the kingdom of God it's great um if you're interested, if you want to get involved, they would love to have you. You can go and be a part of it, which I'd encourage you. Um, if you can, I mean, there's donate. You can make food or donate quarters, you know, whatever. Like, I know you all have tons of quarters sitting around and you don't want to carry them. Like, bring them here. Like, lots of ways. But Chris has some information outside. If you want, you know, to hear about that or support that in any way, I'd encourage you. Take a risk. Take a jump. But what I love, too, is like, you kind of talked about like, yeah, we, we go to, to bless them, but look what happens. They end up blessing you. And that's the beautiful thing. But about, and then you talk about being real and, and true and stories. You know, I, that's where so much evangelism is now. It used to be that you'd kind of argue apologetics and, and there's still a place for that. But you used to argue all this kind of stuff. But, but now people are like, I don't want to hear that. My, those agnostic friends and atheist friends, they don't want to have an argument over some, you know, reason why the Bible is true, whatever. But they have stories that they would love to share. And I, so you jump into this ministry or start your own or do your own. It doesn't even have to be called a ministry. It could just be you loving others, you being salt and light. So thank you. Thank you, Mike, Chris. Thanks for showing us. Isn't that awesome? I love it. Um, yeah. Um, I just wanted to put some kind of flesh on that. Um, it's happening. The world, maybe they see it, maybe they don't. And I, I can't, we can't control that. But we can go out and we can love and we can serve. Let me tell you just a couple other examples. We, we have one on March 21st. We're giving out furniture. Okay, so the city approached us and, hey, can we use your church to pass out furniture? We have hotels that are being remodeled beds and dressers and all that and we just want to give it to the people in the community that need it and so we're going to be here we're going to have it we'll need some help from you just to, to move furniture from a storage pod to cars all that kind of thing great easy way uh, to serve um, here's a cool thing too that maybe some of you know about me you don't but um, we didn't ask for this but it just kind of happened as soon as we took down this planter about that time 
these kids from the junior high, all the little, little boys after school uh, have claimed our church right in front as a, a skate park. <laughs> Every day from about 2.30 to 3.30, we had about 40, sometimes like I, it feels like 70 boys out here skating. And, um, you know, it's funny because I've been praying over the last several months before this happened. I've been praying, I want to see at least 20 kids from the community come to our, our youth ministry. I want our youth ministry to bring in at least 20 kids from the community. And lo and behold, we have 40, 60, 80 kids just skating. We don't even have any ramps. We have nothing out here but, but curbs. And they skate and they skate. And we could say, kids, get out of here. You're causing noise, and you're leaving trash, and you're, the curbs that Sergio painted yellow are now all scraped up, you know? And we could do that. We have the right to. We've had the administration from the school come over like two or three times to, um, you know, send the kids away, and then one time, you know, they came, is it okay? And we said, yeah, it is. And, and the reason for that is because we are trying to reach them. Um, Jason our high school director and Tim have really reached out to them and they are out there, not every day, but Jason started a contest on Thursdays at, um, after school, on Thursdays, they, they have a competition, you know, who can do the most ollies or manuals or kickflips or whatever it is. And the winner gets a little gift card, like 10 bucks, you know, to Popeyes. They love Popeyes, you know, or whatever. I mean, it's just little things. And these kids, they literally, especially the seventh graders, they love it. On Wednesday, they're like, are we going to do it tomorrow? Are we going to do it? You know, what is it? I'm practicing. And, um, you know, do they make a mess? Yeah. Is it noisy? Yeah. It's like 50 skateboard. <laughs> it's noisy. Yeah. Um, if you come at that time, you'd be like, what in the world is going on? Um, they leave their trash, you know. And that's my big, I'm like, don't get hurt and pick up your trash. Other than that, stay, you know. Um, but we're, we're praying for them. And we want to see these kids come from the darkness to the light. I want to see them come to know Jesus Christ. And if it's just putting up with some noise and some trash, let's do it. Right? That kind of stuff is happening. We're going to serve them. Um, Lydia, our children's ministry director, she's serving um, with Carla and a couple others. They're serving over at Fletcher on Mondays um, in, in early afternoon. They're going over there to do Bible clubs. You know, there's... There's lots of avenues. And, and what I'd encourage you, don't wait for the church to like, hey, we're gonna start this ministry and plan and organize. Just, if you have a heart, just go out and do it. Go love, be salt, be light because our church needs it. Our community needs it. But all that to say, you guys, I'm, I'm tired. I don't, I, I don't wanna be the pastor of a religious church. I don't wanna be religious. But I wanna be a pastor of a community of followers of Christ. They're living crazy lives. They're telling crazy stories of how God is at work. They're going into the world. They're being salt and light and things are happening. Do you want that? That's what I want. There's great stuff. I'm looking around and I'm seeing you. I'm seeing your different ministries in the prison ministry over here. Just There's so many things. You guys are doing it. Keep it up. and Get involved. Let's change this world for Christ.